Thank you that absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Lord, we thank you that while we were yet sinners, you came to die for us. And you came to take our place, to pay the death penalty we deserve for our sins. Lord, what, what love, what grace, what generosity you have shown us. And now as we open the scripture and start this new series on generosity, Lord, we pray that you will open our eyes in fresh ways to a very familiar verse that points to your gracious, uh, lavish generosity that you've poured out upon us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we are beginning a new series that is called Generous. And over the next four weeks, we're going to look at what does it look like to really live a lifestyle of generosity. Now, oftentimes when people think of generosity, they think primarily of financial generosity, of giving freely of your money. And that is certainly a part of generosity, but there's also a much bigger picture of what generosity is as well. We're talking about a lifestyle characterized by generosity, not just with our finances, but with other things like our time and with praise that we give to others, with forgiveness, with care. Uh, generosity just in the holistic sense where we are giving people, giving of ourselves generously uh, to others. Now, I think it's worthwhile as we begin the series to ask the question of why should we be generous? Why should we be generous? Now, in our culture today, we live in a culture that really doesn't necessarily value generosity that much. They may hold it up with their lips uh, saying, you know what, generosity is a great virtue that you should strive to attain, to live out. But at the same time, the way that many people in our culture live their lives, they think, I need to get what's mine, and then when I get it, I need to hold on to it very tightly, or else someone else is going to come to take it away from me. Now, I said that there are people in this culture, many of whom would say generosity is a great virtue that we should try to live out. I agree, it is a great virtue, virtue, but at the same time, we shouldn't just pursue generosity for generosity's sake. We shouldn't just say, okay, generosity is the right thing to do, so therefore we should do it. Because even though there's some truth in that, at the same time, that, that perspective of doing it because it's the right thing to do is limited in terms of its ability to really motivate us to be generous long term. And really, it, it misses a big part of the point of why we should be generous. So why should we be generous? Well, the point to that reason, I want to show us a video clip this morning. It's from the movie Remember the Titans, which came out uh, a little bit over a decade ago. It's a football movie. It's about a high school football team in a high school in Virginia in the early 1970s, uh, just after the school was integrated racially. There was a lot of tension there in the school, and this video clip shows a discussion going on between two members of the football team. One member is, is a white guy named Gary. He is the captain of the football team. The other person involved in this discussion is a black member of the football team named Julius. And I want you to listen carefully to this discussion taking place because it really points, I believe, to the key for why we should be generous. All right, man, listen. I'm Gary. You're Julius. Let's get some particulars and just get this over with, all right? Particulars? Yeah. No matter what I tell you, you ain't gonna never know nothing about hey, me. Hey, listen, I ain't running any more of these three days, okay? Well, what I got to say, you really don't want to hear, because honesty ain't too high up on your people's priority list, right? Honesty? You want honesty? All right, honestly, I think you're nothing. Nothing but a pure waste of God-given talent. You don't listen to nobody, man. Not even Doc or Boone. 
Shiver push on the line every time, man. You blow right past them. Push them, pull them, do something. You can't run over everybody in this league. And every time you do, you leave one of your teammates hanging out to dry. Me in particular. Why should I give a hoot about you? Huh? Or anybody else out there? You want to talk about a ways you the captain, right? Right. Captain's supposed to be the leader, right? Right. You got a job? I have a you job. You been doing your job? I've been doing my job. Then why don't you tell your white buddies to block for Rev better? Because they have not blocked for him or for Plug Nickel, and you know it. Nobody plays. Yourself included. I'm supposed to wear myself out for the team? What team? No. No, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look out for myself, and I'm going to get mine. See, man... That's the worst attitude I ever heard. Attitude reflect leadership, Captain. I love that last line in there. Attitude reflects leadership, Captain. I think that's one of the greatest leadership principles we can ever embrace. That if we are in any position of leadership, that we need to understand that the way that we live our lives, the attitude that we have radically shapes the attitude and lives of those around us because attitude reflects leadership. So back to the reason for why we should be generous in our lives is because we have a leader who is generous. We have a leader who's generous. Not just talking about human leaders, we're talking about leader with a capital L. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords, God. He is generous to us. And our attitude is to reflect his generosity that he's shown us because attitude does reflect leadership. Today we're going to look at the topic of God's generosity to us, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles for this to John chapter 3. John 3. As we begin this new series today, we're talking about God being generous. And you may ask, okay, why are we starting with this? Why are we starting with this idea of God being generous? Well, we need to start with the gospel. We, we focus a lot on the gospel as a church, the gospel being the good news of what Christ has done for us. And really, as we said, attitude reflects leadership that we look to God for our cues of how we ought to live our lives. And we're looking, first of all here, at God's generosity to us. And we're looking at what may be a very familiar verse of Scripture to you. It's probably the best-known verse in at least the Western world, John 3.16. We're going to focus in on this verse to see the generosity that God has lavished upon us. Here in John 3.16, many of you could probably quote it verbatim, but I'm going to read it anyway. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this is a picture of God's generosity to us. I want to look at several different aspects of God's generosity here. The first thing we see is that God's generosity is motivated by love. For God so loved the world. I want to point you to one word in that phrase, the word for world. The Greek word there is the word cosmos. And in the Bible, the word cosmos can be translated a variety of different ways depending on the context in which it occurs. For instance, cosmos can refer to the entire universe. It can refer to planet Earth. But here in John 3.16, John, the apostle, is not talking about God loving the universe He's not talking about God simply loving planet Earth in, a, in, in an abstract way. Cosmos can also refer to people. And that's what John is referring to here, that God so loved the world. He loved people. But John has in mind a very specific group of people. Because in that culture, 
you have this perspective, okay, we are God's people, and everyone out there is the world. That's why you oftentimes see in Scripture, keep yourself from being polluted by the world, by the values of the people who are not godly people. And so when, when John is saying, for God so loved the world, he's referring to God loves people who don't love God in return. God loves people who ignore him, who despise him, who think that they don't need him at all. He's saying that God loves absolutely everyone. He loves you regardless of your age. He loves men and he loves women. He loves the poor and the rich. He loves those who are strong and healthy, but he also loves those who are weak and who are broken. He loves those who are educated, but he also loves those who are illiterate, who if they picked up a Bible, they couldn't read it even if they wanted to. He loves people from every culture. He loves people from every ethnic group around the world. God loves those who are self-disciplined in everything they do. He also loves those who are addicts, who can't help but being addicted to a number of different things in their lives. God loves people who are liars, thieves, rapists, pedophiles, adulterers. He loves even those who have been violated by sexual predators. God loves transvestites. He loves homosexuals. God loves those who are greedy and those who are lazy and those who are employed and work hard. He loves those who are unemployed and those who are even homeless. God loves those who are divorced and those who are happily married and those who are miserably married and those who are widowed and those who are single. God loves those who bow down to idols and he loves those who bow down to sports teams as their idol. He bows down to those, or he loves those who bow down to worldly success and fame and money and popularity as their idol. God loves everyone. He loves everyone. He loves you. He loves me. Because it says, for God so loved the world. And we see in Scripture that he doesn't love the world that is broken and rebelling against him because of some intrinsic value or intrinsic beauty or intrinsic good that we have inside of us because we rebel against him. We are sinful people to the core in and of ourselves. Yet love characterizes the way that God views everything in this world. God is love. It's a part of his very nature. And we have to understand this motivation of love if we are to understand the concept of generosity because love in many ways is a big part of the fuel that enables us to be generous to those around us. Love is the motivating factor that caused God to to be generous to us as human beings. You think about it, generosity is oftentimes very difficult. I mean, we think, okay, generosity is a great great virtue to try to pursue, but in reality, there are times we don't feel like being generous. There are times that it's hard to be generous because we don't like the people around us. We don't like the situation, so we don't want to be giving to them. We want to just hoard things for ourselves. There are times we feel like we don't really have anything to give. Emotionally, we're depleted. Maybe financially, we're depleted. What would we give to others? You know, sometimes we can feel like we're kind of running dry, and I picture it Kind of like a pitcher. Imagine this is a pitcher uh, of, it is a pitcher kind of of water. Imagine that you are pouring this out. If you just sit there pouring it out, eventually it's going to run dry, isn't it? You're not going to have any more to pour out because it's getting empty. And many times that's what we can feel like when we are trying to give to others. We give, give, give. But if we are not receiving while we are giving, 
we're going to run dry. And so rather than looking at our lives as a pitcher, we're just constantly pouring out generosity to others where we're going to run dry. We need to look at it more as kind of this three-tier fountain um, where you don't just have us pouring into others, but you also have a layer above that, and that is God pouring into us, that God's lavishing his love and his generosity and his graciousness upon us so that then we can constantly be filled up to pour out into others. See, if we aren't receiving from God, we aren't going to have anything to give to others. We may be trying to do it out of our own strength, but that's going to wear us out, and it's going to run dry at some point. Remember that we love because God first loved us. So we see that God's motivation in showing generosity to us was love. And this led him to, to, to sending Christ. And it shows that his generosity is very sacrificial in nature. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave his one and only son. He's given us many, many things. I mean, think about all in, in our lives that God has given us. I mean, first of all, God gave us life to begin with. God created everything that is here. And you may have some people out there who would argue, no, this whole universe came about by time and chance, by natural selection. God didn't create it all. I mean, we could, we could talk about that, but um, I'm just going to assume this at this point. You can come talk with me later if you have questions. Because uh, I could fill up entire sermons on that. But anyway, God created everything that's here. Everything we have came from him in the first place. And he also... Um, just created such a beautiful universe. I mean, Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. When you look at the stars, you look at the pictures coming back from the Hubble telescope. Just beautiful. You look at uh, the Grand Canyon, if you've ever been there. You look at the Rocky Mountains. You look at the ocean. You look at our beautiful lake, just a couple blocks away right here. And you just, if your heart is open to it, you just stand in awe of the beauty of what God has created. You look at the beauty of the human body. You look at the beauty of flowers. You look at how God has given us so many resources with which we can, also, we can build other things that are useful and beautiful. He's not only given us all these things, but he's also given us the ability to enjoy and appreciate them. He's given us eyes to see the beauty that's all around us. He's given us ears to hear beautiful music, to hear the chirping of birds in the morning. He's given us noses, the sense of smell, in order to, to appreciate the smell of a rose, to appreciate the smell of warm baking bread. He's given us taste buds. Think about what life would be like if God did not give us taste buds to enjoy the various flavors of food that are out there. I mean, we could survive just fine if God gave us some sort of cardboard-like substance that, that had nutrients in it that we would eat that had little to no taste. We could have survived just fine on that. But God gave us taste buds to enjoy things like thick, juicy hamburgers or, or, or Culver's concrete mixers or, or fresh fruit or, or sweet corn that's just come out of the garden or, I mean, fresh salads or whatever you like. Think about it. God has given you the ability to enjoy that. He's given us so much. And he's also given us each things that are more individual to us. He's given us our family and our friends. He's given us material possessions and money. He's given us various skills and talents. He's given us spiritual gifts with which to build up the body of Christ. He's given us so much. That's 
why scripture says very clearly that every good and perfect gift comes from our Father above. I think in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, where Paul says, who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Everything we have has been given to us in some form or another by God. He is a giving, generous God. And so many of these things are are gifts that the entire world experiences whether or not they acknowledge the giver. But there is one gift that is bigger and greater and deeper than every other gift that God has given us. It's one thing to give us things. It's another thing to give us his son. I mean, think about it. You could go to a store today, this afternoon, if you want to give a gift to someone. You could spend a very significant amount of money buying a gift for someone whom you care for. And it could be seen as a very generous gift because you're investing a lot of money and perhaps time and care and thought into it. It's a generous gift. But you're going to a completely different level if you talk about sacrificing your son or your daughter for the good of someone else, especially someone who has turned their back on you. And that's what God has done. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. This is the ultimate demonstration of God's love. Romans 5.8 says, For God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the ultimate demonstration of God's love and of his generosity. Now, now, this does get into the topic of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit being three persons within one God. They're, they're different in some ways, but they're also the same. And this is another thing that we could fill many sermons talking about the Trinity. And honestly, it would still boggle our minds because our minds are very finite and limited. And God is infinite. So it, it really shouldn't surprise us that we can't understand everything about God. But this does point to the fact that God is Trinity. And, and you think about it, the, God the Father and God the Son have had fellowship together since eternity past. God the Father has shared everything with God the Son. I imagine this hypothetical discussion that took place in heaven sometime in eternity past. It's hypothetical because I don't think it actually happened, but imagine it anyway. Imagine this conversation between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit about, okay, We have these people we've created and we've given them free will because we want them to freely choose to love us rather than being forced like robots. But they have turned against us. But we still love them. What are we going to do about this? I mean, what are we going to do? And so they came up with this plan where they're going to send God the Son to this world in human form in order to redeem us. I mean, what what a crazy plan that is. I mean, again, if you have children, think about what it would be like I mean, your child who you've had with you for maybe a few months, a few years, maybe a few decades, what it would be like to allow them to be sacrificed for someone else's benefit. I mean, I don't think any of us who are parents could even imagine what that would be like. But that is what God has chosen to do in order to reconcile us with himself. You you think about uh, this. Think about the analogy of being on death row. Because spiritually speaking, without Christ, we are all on death row. We all have the death penalty because Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. So because we're all sinners, and we are, we are on death row. 
And you may be looking at people around you, uh, your spouse, your children, your friends, and think, I don't want them to be on death row. I, I want them to go free. I want them to live. But the reality is that there's nothing that we can do to get them off of death row in and of ourselves. We, we may think, okay, I want to take their place. Can I take their place, please, so that they can go free? We can't because we have our own death penalty to pay. Every single human being who's ever lived has their own death penalty to pay, and we can do nothing in and of ourselves to get others off of death row. And that's why God the Son, in the form of Jesus Christ, came to this world. He came as a human in order to, to relate to us, in order to be one of us, so that he could qualify to take our place. And he comes along to us, and metaphorically speaking, he sort of taps us on the shoulder and says, I want to take your place. I can take your place because I've lived a sinless life, Jesus says. So I don't have my own death penalty to pay. I want to take your place on death row so that you can go free and live life for God and be reconciled with him. That's what he says. And he offers that to every single person. He says, I will take your place if you will allow me to do so. And because he is God, he's fully human so he can relate to us. He qualifies to take our place to pay that death penalty. But he's fully God, so he's able to not only pay one death penalty, he's able to pay the death penalty for anyone and everyone who's willing to receive that gift of forgiveness and redemption. And we see that right here in John 3, 16, that, that God's generosity results in eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, on our own, we're on the road to perishing. Hell, eternal separation from God, death. But God offers us life. I, I quoted earlier from Romans 3.23 and 6.23. Those are very well-known verses. But I think sometimes we forget that, that there is a part B to each one of those verses. For instance, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Next verse says, And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So we were sinful, but we're justified freely by grace. We are redeemed. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. Oftentimes we stop there with that verse. But we need to go on. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, this is the good news of the gospel. And we have to understand the bad news to understand the good news fully. The good news of the gospel is that there's grace, that there is redemption, that there is new life. I remember back when I was a sophomore in college, I didn't care that much about God at that point. I'd stopped going to church. Uh, my parents raised me in church, but I, I stopped going because I didn't see the relevance of God in church. But one of my classmates was talking with me about my spiritual beliefs. He was asking a bunch of questions. And in the course of that conversation, he asked me about grace. I mean, the topic of grace had come up. He asked, do you know what grace is? Do you know what it means? I had no idea. Uh, the only thing, here's literally what came to my mind. I think it may have come out of my mouth too. That the only thing I could think of was graceful. And graceful describing ballerinas and figure skaters. Because, you know, I've heard ballerinas and figure skaters being described as graceful. But he went on to explain that grace is a free, unmerited, undeserved gift that God has given us through Christ. That we can't do anything to earn God's grace, but he gives it to us freely. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. 
But this is a gift. It's a gift that we have to receive by trusting in Christ. It says that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's a gift that's offered to everyone, but it only becomes ours if we receive it through faith, if we trust in Christ, if we say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I want you to take my place. You think about it. Anytime you want to be generous to someone, I mean, you can give them any sort of gift you want, but the gift doesn't really do any good for them, at least, if they don't receive it and make use of it. And unfortunately, sometimes the greatest gifts, the greatest shows of love are rejected. You may not believe this, but back when I was a little kid, I was kind of a brat. Um, like I said, you may not believe it. Um, I, I kind of had a temper at times, too. There was this one time that I wanted to build a little ship. And I had this, this cool ship in mind. And my dad said, I, I wanted to go to the store and buy a model of a ship and build it. Uh, but my dad said, we can build one right here. And so I had great faith that we were going to be, be able to build this really extravagant, amazing ship. He took me down to our garage that had our wood pile. It's a great wood pile just of scraps that you could build things out of, and I spent a lot of time there. He took me down there, got a piece of plywood or some sort of flat piece of wood, got a dowel rod, drilled a hole in the plywood, stuck the dowel rod in there, and that was supposed to be my ship. I was not impressed. I mean, I value that he wanted to do that with me. Um, but I was not impressed with that ship. And so after I continued to complain a lot and, and just outright rejected that ship that he made for me, he said, okay, next time I'm in town, I'll get you, uh, this was a weekend, next time in town, I'll get you um, a model of a ship. So he went to town, I think it was probably early on a Saturday morning, and was doing some other things. He went to the store, got, tried to get a ship. Evidently, they were out of ships, or they didn't carry ships in this little store that's in my little hometown. So he got the next best thing in his mind was, was a model of a space shuttle. I should have valued a space shuttle, but I didn't because my mind was set on a ship. He brought that, ship home, or that space shuttle home in his box, all wrapped up, put it on the coffee table, left it for me there to find, and I should have been grateful for it, but I wasn't. Um, I was the opposite of grateful. Like I said, I, I was a brat, and I could have a little temper. And what happened was my anger over not having the ship that I dreamed for began to well up more and more. I mean, I started out with just being a little bit upset that this isn't a ship and then began to reject that, that, that box of the space shuttle more and more and more until I went ballistic on the box. I started throwing it, started kicking it, started stomping on it to the point where it was wrecked. It was useless after that. I don't remember what my dad's reaction was at that point. I know that he wasn't home during the worst of my anger towards the box. I don't remember exactly what his reaction was uh, when he found out about that. But my heart breaks to think that he was trying to care for me. He was trying to do what, was, what he thought was best. Yes, they didn't, he wanted to build a ship with me. I didn't like that, so he was going to go get a ship. They didn't have a ship, so he bought a space shuttle. He was trying to do something that was loving and gracious and kind and generous even after I had rejected him the first time with the little plywood and dowel rod ship. But I rejected it. He wanted to offer me a gift, but I would not receive it. Now, thankfully, as, as time passed, I mean, we were reconciled after that. We have a great relationship today. I, I did, before that and after that, continue to receive his love and graciousness and generosity in my life. So we have a great relationship today. But I think that's a picture of, of someone being offered a gift and being unwilling to receive it for various reasons. 
God offers us a gift through Jesus Christ that is so much better than a space shuttle or even than a ship or even than a million dollars than anything else. He offers us the gift of eternal life. Oftentimes when we think of eternal life, we only think of heaven. That, okay, gospels get that hell free card that when we die, we'll go to heaven. It's so much more than that. In John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus says, Now this is eternal life, that they, meaning the world, may know God and Jesus Christ, the only Son whom he sent, that they may know God. And that is what true eternal life is. It's not just heaven when we die, but it's really knowing God both in this life and the next. So we see God's lavish, incredible generosity here. And again, we come back to the question of why did we begin this series with focusing on God? Why not just focus, focus on practical application points of how do we grow more generous in our lives? And I could say, okay, you need to save more money so you can give more. You need to change your lifestyle. You need to think good thoughts about people, stuff like that. No, we need to start with God. Because remember, attitude reflects leadership. We are gospel-centered people. The gospel is what redeems us. The gospel is to be our identity. And so we look to our leader, to God, for our cues of how to live our lives. And a big part of what he has done and central to the gospel is generosity. I want to point us to what I could call an anatomy of generosity. And it's kind of this little flow chart here. But it all starts with the gospel. The gospel being the good news of God's graciousness and generosity to us through Christ, offering us eternal life when we deserve death. And the gospel then should impact our attitude. Our attitude is really what shapes our actions. So whether or not our actions and our words and our thoughts are going to be generous or whether they're going to be stingy. But our, our, our attitude is what's going on inside of us, our mentality with which we view our lives. If we have an attitude of generosity, it is naturally going to overflow into generous actions and generous words in our interactions with others around us. If our attitude is one of, well, I need to get what's mine and hold on to it, well, then we're not going to be very generous. So rather than only focusing on our actions and saying, okay, well, I need to be generous, that's behavior modification. That's not enough. That's not biblical to only start with you need to modify this behavior to be more generous. You need to start back on the, on the level of attitude and back even to the gospel. And in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus told a parable. It's called the parable of the unmerciful servant. It's a parable about a man who owed an astronomical amount of money. And in today's context, that would be billions upon billions of dollars. More money than he would ever be able to repay. And this man who owed so much money went to the man to whom he owed the money. And he said, can you please give me more time? Can you please show me mercy? And the man who was owed all the money said, you know what? I'm just going to cancel the debt. I'm going to forgive you. You owed me billions of dollars. You don't have to pay it anymore. You are forgiven. What generosity. And then that man who's forgiven the, the billions of dollars goes out that same day and runs into a man who owes him maybe a few thousand dollars. Still significant, but it pales in comparison to billions upon billions of dollars. And the guy grabs the, the man who owes him a few thousand dollars and says, you need to pay up right now. And the guy says, please show me mercy. Please give me time. I will repay. But the guy who's just been forgiven billions upon billions of dollars says, no, pay now or you're going to jail. 
And Jesus is looking at, the, at this parable, at this story about these, this man who has been forgiven much, shown much generosity, and is unwilling to show it to others. And he says, essentially, how dare someone receive such generosity but be unwilling to pass it on? We have received great generosity from God. And that is the foundation for our attitude and how we live our lives that then influences our actions towards others. And we may examine our lives and think, okay, realistically, I'm not as generous as I should be. If, we, if that's the issue, we need to start by going back to our attitude and then going back to the gospel. Because if we have a generosity problem, we have a gospel problem. We haven't internalized the gospel as fully as we ought to. And if we have a problem showing generosity, if we find, you know what, we're actually quite stingy rather than generous, we need to question whether or not we are really submitting to God as our leader. Because remember, attitude reflects leadership. And so if God is our leader, and he is generous in everything that he does, but our attitudes don't reflect that, then we evidently must be following some leader other than God, whether it's ourselves, whether it's the world and its values. So we need to ask, are we really following God as our leader? Are we really embracing the gospel? And if so, it will transform our attitude and our actions to make us more generous. Now, it's oftentimes very difficult to remember on a daily basis the generosity and the love of God. And for that reason, God gave us the Lord's Supper to help us to remember his great generosity towards us. Now, you may be thinking this morning, okay, I hear all this stuff about God's generosity towards me, about his love for me, but in my life, I really don't feel like God's being that generous to me. I mean, I keep praying about all these different things, but it just seems like the prayers are just kind of bouncing off the ceiling. You may feel like, well, how could God really love me? I look at what I've done in my life. I mean, can he really love someone like me? Well, when we look to the cross, we remember that God does love us, that he is generous to us, and that whatever our circumstances are in this life, we can always rest on the fact that because of what Jesus has done for us, we can rest assured that God loves us deeply and wholeheartedly. In just a minute, the servers are going to pass out the bread and then the cup. The bread represents Christ's body, which was broken on our behalf. And the cup represents Christ's blood, which was shed on our behalf. Him taking our death penalty that we deserved for our sins. When you receive the elements, I encourage you to, to hold them until everyone's been served, and that will lead us in partaking together as a sign of our unity in Christ. You don't have to be a member or a regular attender of Freedoms to join with us, but if you are someone who has placed your faith in Christ and received redemption through God's grace and generosity, if you um, have, have committed yourself to following Christ, you are welcome to join with us today. We're going to now have the prayer for the bread.